somewhat gloomy, but um, it's nevertheless an opportunity to, again, come together with the Church of Christ, wherever you might be. Um, so today is what we, if you follow the calendar, uh, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, and it's oftentimes known as um, Palm Sunday. And um, I've usually given Palm Sunday messages, but today um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the Palm Sunday and go straight to the uh, passage on the death of Jesus Christ. And not to necessarily talk about Jesus Christ, we'll probably hear more from that or about that this Friday um, during Good Friday service. But today is also the last day where we'll talk about ministries of the church and where we are not only trying to see what we want from our ministries, but the kind of people that we need to, to serve and to lead these ministries. And today is the last ministry that we are going to address, and that's the, the ministry of, of community and community groups. Now, I know many of you already belong to a community group and you have been uh, attending your community group for some time. And uh, I'm not sure what you uh, think about your community group, but hopefully it's been a blessing and a time of refreshment as well as fellowship for those of you who, who have been participating. But I, I think there's going to be some change in our community groups uh, going forward. And part of the reason is, is because um, our leadership needs a little break from from the, the current, I guess, model and system that we've been using. And that's going to mean necessarily that, that we're going to have to make some changes. And we're working on that. We're not quite sure exactly how that's going to look yet. But it, it may require new leadership, uh, leadership that's beyond um, our current leadership now, which is made up of elders. Uh, we may need to ask for, for some lay leadership. Um, and if you're interested in that and, and we do that, then please be open to that. And we also may have to mix up our groups a little bit, um, reorganize the, the, the groups that we've been doing. And I know some of you, you love your groups and, uh, you know, you don't want anything to change. Um, and, uh, you know, it, that, that's a, for a good reason. But I, I, I think it may require that um, to encourage uh, community and fellowship, not just within your own circles, but also within the church. And so, um, things may be a little different and a little shake it up. And, and uh, you'll hear probably more of that as we as go forward in the year. But I, I wanted us to look at this passage in Mark chapter 15 to, to be reminded again of why and how we ought to look at our community, what that means, uh, particularly our community groups. Um, how, how do we perceive that? How do you perceive the people in your community groups? Or what keeps you from attending a community group? Um, and, and, and the people there, how do you interact with them? Uh, what do you see uh, when you engage with your particular community group? And, and I think this is important to understand. And so what I want to talk about and address and to be reminded again uh, of, of what our community groups um mean or how they ought to exist, we look at this passage on Mark chapter 15, which was read to us by Ham, and uh, from verses 33 to 47, and it really considers the death of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. As we look at this passage, we all know that Jesus is a religious figure, and being a religious figure, you'd expect then religious people uh, to be following Jesus the most, right? But if that's so, then what we see in this passage is, is very unexpected, uh, when you look at this passage that was just read, Mark, he mentions a Roman centurion in verse 39. And when he sees Jesus on the cross, he confesses that truly this man was the son of God. 
In verse 40, Mark mentions women, um, a lot of women, and including among those women are Mary Magdalene and um, Hose's mother. And so uh, verse 43, you look at Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the religious council who asked Pilate, Pontius Pilate for the body of Christ. And, and so basically in this passage, you have three people or rather three groups of people really that are brought together here in this one chapter, in this one scene of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and let's be very clear. They practically have nothing to do with each other except for the fact that they encounter Jesus Christ. And if you really think about it, you hardly ever see these three types of people hanging out together in one place. But you see them all here in this one chapter, and all of them, they, they respond somewhat positively to the event of the crucifixion. Now, I don't know what you think about your community groups, um, but, you know, in your community group, there, there are different people with different personalities, different habits, different struggles. And, and sometimes it's, it's not always easy to engage uh, with the differences that we have in, in our small church and in small group. Um, but here's what we see here in our passage. Two things I want to share here when, when it comes to thinking about community, and that is this. What kind of people actually do draw near to Jesus Christ? And secondly, how are they affected? What kind of people are gathering around Christ and how are they affected? And so first, let's look at this and see what people here seem to be drawn to Jesus Christ, especially at his death or at his crucifixion. And the first person we mentioned was this, that you have a Roman centurion in verse 39. Uh, most would agree that he was one of the soldiers that was probably overseeing the whole event of, of the death of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. He didn't just see the crucifixion. He was a part of it all. Um, here you have a soldier who, who's probably seen many people die. On, by crucifixion. He's a hardened soldier. He's not new to this, but something is different in this passage with Jesus Christ, because in verse 39, as Jesus utters his last breath, he says, truly, this man was the son of God. This soldier, right? This Roman soldier, he's not Jewish. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile in the eyes of Jews. And in the eyes of Jews, he's a pagan. He's a big sinner, an idol worshiper. And yet at the sight of Jesus' death, he's somehow affected. And he's moved to say, this man was the son of God. Now, I don't know exactly why he said that. Maybe it was something about, maybe he heard something about Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker. Maybe he was supposed to, you know, he heard about the claims of Jesus being the king of the Jews. Or maybe it was just a combination of things. You know, when Jesus died, the darkness, the, the way Jesus handled himself during this persecution and, and, and the things he said on the cross. But uh, whatever it was, somehow this Roman centurion understood that Jesus wasn't just a mere political revolutionary. Neither was he just a, a religious leader, and certainly he wasn't just a common criminal dying like a thief on a cross. But he says this man was the son of God, a man of God, a man from God, a man somehow related to God. And it was a positive response to Jesus Christ, a Jew from a person who's not a Jew, in fact, viewed negatively in the eyes of Jews. And so that's the first person we got there that seems to be attracted to Jesus Christ. The second person or the second group of people, we should say, found in verse 40 uh, is this. Mark, I think, 
if you look very carefully from verse 40 uh, and a couple of verses thereafter, he's very intentional about mentioning women. It wasn't just Mary and Magdalene, but it was women in general that were looking from the distance and witnessing the whole thing. And I think Mark deliberately emphasizes women in this passage and in this particular verses. <clears throat> and you might think, well, you know, what's the big deal about that, you know? Uh, but if you were to look at these verses from first century eyes, it, it'd be quite radical in some ways because what's significant about that culture is that nobody cared. Nobody cared about what women thought or what they said. Women in that culture, especially in that culture, were considered weak, inferior, no power, no, no rights in many ways, and certainly no credibility in what they said. In fact, you, you've heard this before, that some Pharisees even oftentimes prayed, I thank God that I'm not a Gentile or a slave or even a woman. And yet I think sometimes women are the most reliable people I know. But the, here, the question here is, when you look at this passage, the question you should be asking is, where are Jesus' guy friends? During his death, during a time where he probably needed his friends the most, his disciples, his male disciples, all the closest guy followers had left him. And the only followers recorded in the Bible that were with Jesus through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection were women. And you notice in this passage, verse 40, it says this, that there are a lot of women there. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. But then he repeats himself again, and he says, there are also other many women there. And I think he deliberately points this out, because in the end of the day, after the resurrection, it's going to be the testimony of women who saw everything that's going to be given to the apostles to actually start this faith to give them the eye and ear witness testimony, right? These women who in a court of law during this time, no one would thought was really credible. God would use these women and their testimony to begin the faith of Christianity in many ways. And that's kind of, I think, in a sense, radical. But there's a third group of people or a third person here, and that's Joseph of Arimathea, okay? And if you look at Joseph, he's very different on the spectrum of, 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 this, of this group of people. Who's this guy? Well, he's a respected man from the Gospel of Matthew. We learned that he had money. He had wealth. From the Gospel of John, we learned that he had friends. He had connections. He was close with Nicodemus, another famous Pharisee. Mark tells us he's a member of the council of the Sanhedrin. Um, he's religious. He's pious. He's a highly respected leader. He was, he's an aristocrat. And again, he's a Pharisee. In other words, this guy has some influence, right? How do I know this? Because Joseph of Arimathea, a rich highly respected Pharisee, he goes to Pontius Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus Christ to give Jesus a proper burial. And Pontius Pilate gives it to him. So he, he's got some clout. He's got some influence there, even in the political realm. You see this? As you look at this passage, you've got a Roman Gentile pagan. He says, you are the son of God. You've got socially marginalized women still following Jesus after even after he died. And you've got this rich, religious, religious Jewish Pharisee who's giving acts of devotion to Jesus Christ. And the question that you've got to ask, and I think Mark puts it this way deliberately, is this. Where would you ever see a group of people together in one place like this in one breath? It's somewhat pretty diverse group of people socially, racially, uh, economically. And 
if you're thinking about your community group or your community in general as a, as a church, if you think about community as just a bunch of people getting together, what you tend to see in the Gospels is this, that it's almost always the minorities. It's almost always the marginalized. It's people like sinners and tax collectors. It's the lepers, literally and figuratively, that seem to be gathering around Jesus all the time and are somehow attracted to him more so than even the so-called religious people. And it's more here, here's the thing to think about. Um, when they get together, it's more than just fun and hanging out, right? If you wanted to call this group a community group, it was more than just eating together and playing games. It really has to be because there's got to be something bigger. There's got to be something heavier, something weightier to bring people from different backgrounds, social, uh, socially or economic or otherwise, to bring people from different situations into one place to engage or to do uh, or to witness something together. There's got to be something bigger, bigger than just common hobbies and common personalities and the fact that we like to eat together, something weightier, something heavier. And the scene of this passage is, therefore, the death of Jesus Christ. It's what seems to bring these people together. It's what seems to be the heavyweight central issue that even overcomes the deep social, economical, racial differences that they have. But in any way, are you getting a picture of what kind of people are gathering here around Jesus Christ? I think here Mark gives us a glimpse of the beginning of the church or the community of Jesus Christ that he's creating. Can you imagine these people sitting together in a room on Sunday worship? Right? Here's a Roman soldier. Here's a, here's a Jewish religious leader. And there's some women that no one really cared about. They're all sitting together on, on a room on Sunday worship. And then they hang out together or they fellowship together. It, I think it'll be quite difficult, right? Quite difficult in this time. The last time I heard Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders, they're, they're enemies, right? They were enemies. And the bottom line is this. You might be worried about, you know, your community group or the future of community group and you, or even in the church in general. You might be in a situation right now where you kind of find it hard to fit in uh, to your church or, or, or to your community group, uh, to fit into this group. And, and sometimes really, you know, that's all we want, isn't it? We, we want community in the sense where we could find a place where we could just fit in. You know, growing up, uh, especially born in the States, uh, we grew up in 10 different states in this country, most of them being in the South. And during the 70s and 80s, um, you know, literally being the only Asian around, I always was drawn to, to, to Asian people just because I was never surrounded by them. Uh, and you never felt like you fit in. And you just wanted to fit in, but you never did. Right. That, that's how I really felt. You know, it's like that. I mean, I'm dating myself, but it's like that TV show from the 80s. Cheers. Those of you here remember. And you remember their theme song. It's basically it says you want to be where everybody knows your name. And oftentimes I think when we look for church or when we think about community, uh, we want to be where someone knows our name. Someone like you or someone you like. 
right? When we think about community or we're looking for a church, that, that oftentimes, very simply, that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing, as hard as it might be, even in today's church, I think if you are looking for a church in the early days of Christianity, I think it would be much harder to fit in. It would be much difficult, much more difficult. And the question that we need to remind ourselves when we think about community and when we think about, you know, what community group ought to be, uh, and that is this, what really does bring us together? What should bring the church together, right? What should bring us together in fellowship or in community? And as I think about Sojourner, I think, you know what, you think community will be easier in our context because at least we're all Asian for the most part and, and mostly Korean. But yet, in a small context like ours, there is somewhat of a diversity, isn't there? Even in a small church like ours, we have a bunch of us who are married with kids. There are some here who are married with no kids, and there are some here who are still single. Our age range, you know, there, there are a bunch of us uh, you now in our 40s are actually moving into our 50s. Uh, we have a lot of 30s and, and some of the 20s. Some of us here, we're single, but we're in our late 30s. And that alone is, is a niche that's, that's very, uh, I think, specific. Um, we have a lot of children and we have a lot of adults. We have people who are well off and people maybe not as well off. We have diversity in terms of hobbies and what we like to do, where we work. Um, some of us in our church, we are, we are mature in our faith. A lot of us have a little faith and, and there are some of us with no faith right? Um, and so even in our small context, it, it's very difficult maybe to find that, that group of people or that person where you feel like you could really communicate with and fellowship with because of diversity or differences in faith level or in vocation or in personality types. And it can be difficult in a smaller church because here's the thing, the chances are less that you find someone like you or someone you like. You go to a larger church, you know, the chances are greater, maybe, you know, there's more people there, you don't fit into this group, you don't click with that person, you can go on to the next one, and it could be never ending. But here's the point. What you begin to see here in the community of God's people, that if you are going to come to church, or to come to community group, or to look for community, based on you, based by your own personal preferences, of people or personalities or hobbies or whatever the case, who you naturally click with, then not only have, I think, we have misunderstood, I think, what Christian community is, not only do we misunderstand what the church is, but I think it's oftentimes very narcissistic, very selfish and self-centered. Narcissism means this. Practically, it means you ask like questions like, what's, what's church about? What, what, what's community really mean for me? What's good for me? And you, and you ask questions like, well, what, what do I get out of this? And to get your answer, you look in the mirror. It's a reflection of yourself. It's all about you, whether someone like you or someone not like you. Your reference point is oftentimes you. And you're asking questions like, what am I getting out of this? Who can I click with? Who can I hang out with, right? Who, who will I get along with? You're the center. And when you are like this, not that it's bad or anything, but when you're only like this, not only will you have a hard time finding real community in church, but you might also be a source of division, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time where birds of a feather, they say, flock together. 
where moms do need to be with moms, where children do need to be with children, where, where guys do need to, to just hang out with more guys, where maybe singles do need to mingle with more singles. There's a time where birds of a feather, quote unquote, flock together. But the thing that we need to realize, especially in our church, is that not everyone is the same bird. Sometimes you get an ostrich, right? Sometimes you get a chicken. And once in a while, you, out of the blue, you get that cat, right? It, it's a, it's a, you just never know. And so this idea of community, as you look here in this passage, we have to really be aware that there is something greater here that seems to overcome a lot of the differences that even we have in our community. So how do you live this out? What needs to happen for a diverse group of people in order to live out this kind of community in Jesus Christ? Okay, and this is an important question, right? I would love to say that every one of us in our church equally loves everyone else in our church. That everyone in our church who goes to a community group equally loves every person in our community group the same exact way. Now, maybe there are some of you like that, but I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to bet that there are people in our church who can't stand that other person in the church. I'm going to bet in this church that there are people in your community group that you could never just really talk to because it's just so annoying or it's just so different or, or it's just just don't mesh very well and it's difficult for you. And so I'm going to address this practically and say, what needs to happen then to people in a church in order for them to really engage in Christian community in a such a way that Christ has begun? And here's what I think. If you really understand Jesus Christ, if you really see the person and the work of Christ, especially in his death and in his resurrection, right? It ought to turn who you are upside down. And I'll give you three examples here from these three people or groups of people that we see. Three examples from authority, power, and wealth. Okay, these things are important in our world, very familiar with it. But look at what happens here when they come to Jesus Christ. That soldier, that Roman centurion, he's a man of authority, isn't he? But what does he call Jesus in verse 39? You must be the son of God. And you know why that's so crazy? Because Roman soldiers, especially centurions, should only be loyal to the emperor Caesar Augustus. He is God to Rome. And so here's a centurion, a man of authority, a man of status, and yet in front of the cross of Christ, he seems to forget who he is. He forgets his status. He's somewhat humbled. He doesn't mind calling Jesus someone who's sentenced as a criminal of the state, the son of God. He's going to get in big trouble when he gets back to the office if anyone hears him and reports him. The emperor of Rome, that's authority. And yet when he's confronted with Jesus, this man of authority says to a dying man on a cross, you must be the son of God. That's authority. A dying man on a cross, he says, you must be the son of God. That's a picture of authority that's completely different from the world. And it's the opposite of what you and I might expect. And for those of us in authority, then, it would be easy to look down on people we consider to be less we consider to be lower in status, or we consider to be just different from us. It's easy to look down and it's easy to become prideful. And yet what you see here is this person of authority calls a man dying on a cross, the son of God. Son of God carries authority. But look at this, the second group of people, how, does, how are they different? Well, 
here's the women and women are powerless in as many ways in this society and culture, especially, right? And I want you to think about this. If you lived in Jesus' time and you somehow wanted to create a religion and you wanted to have some credibility, right, to that religion, you don't go to the women first, right? You don't have them start the message and sh start sharing it. You, you might go to the religious experts of that day. You, you might go to the political powers and start with them and have them sort of, you know, implement this new faith or religion in their culture. But in a culture where women, for the most part, lack credibility, you don't begin with them. It just doesn't make sense. And yet that's where exactly the gospels start. Here in the Bible, it's these women who testify or see everything from death to the burial to the resurrection. In other words, the only disciples who could say, I saw the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ were women. And at a crucial point in time in the history of Christianity, where you needed to have credible witnesses, the central events of the gospel uh, of Christianity needed to be verified. The death and resurrection of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ needed to be validated. It will be these women that society looks down upon, that doesn't trust. And only these women will actually have seen and known what God is up to in the beginning. God trusts a group of women with the whole story. So in a culture where women were looked down upon, right, God takes up a group of women and he empowers them and he trusts them to do something that no one else in that world did, to share the gospel with the rest of the world. And if you have power, okay, or if you think you have power, it'd be easy to undermine and undervalue those you consider weaker than you or less than you whether it's because of your gender or whether it's because of your race, it's easy to kind of look down upon them. But these women didn't. They were empowered. They were encouraged. They were emboldened. And they shared. And I'm glad they did. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be here. Okay? So the third group of people, let's look at what happens to, to Joseph of Arimathea, right? When you look at verse 43, uh, we're told here that it took courage for Joseph to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. That's the literal two words, took courage. This pious Pharisee uh, was a closet Christian, in fact, a secret follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why Mark says it took courage for him to come out of the closet, right? It took courage because when he comes out, he's going to be accused of high treason. He's going to be accused of blasphemy by his own people. He's going to put himself in conflict with the decision of his own group. He's going to jeopardize his job, his future, for the sake of coming out as a Christian. And here's the thing about Jesus, or Joseph. He didn't just have status. He also had wealth. He had money. And if you have wealth, right, if you have status, it will be so easy to kind of look down on others and say, oh, poor people, maybe I need to give them something, a handout, and, and just help them out a little bit, or just look down on them, right? Um, but if you don't have wealth, it would be easy to kind of look at those who do and say, oh, maybe they're so bougie, or they're, you know, just whatever. Um, but here's the thing you have to know about Joseph. We all know that Jesus was buried in a tomb right? But what archaeologists have found was that when they excavated these tombs, what they rarely included were victims of crucifixion. And the reason was because crucified victims weren't allowed to be buried, which was a terrible thing for many Jews. They were just buried in trenches or, 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 or coffins. Why? 
Because to be buried in a tomb made of rock was much more expensive than being buried in a trench, right? It took money to dig up the land. It took money to, to make a cave. It took money to wrap a body in fine linen and then pour incense and spices all over it. Yet Joseph was the one. He was the one that wanted to do all of that for Jesus Christ. And he wasn't even blood family. And you know what that means? For Joseph, to be a Christian didn't mean he had to become poor. He had to lose all his God-given wealth. But neither did it mean that he was so self-concerned for himself, that he was so self-concerned for his security and his own wealth, that he didn't care about anything else. Rather, finding courage at the cross of Jesus Christ, he uses his wealth. He uses his status. He uses resources for a purpose other than himself. He goes to Pilate, uses his influence, gets, you know, Jesus' body back, uses his wealth, gives Jesus a proper burial. He was generous. And so you, do you see what's going on here? A Roman centurion, a bunch of women, a rich religious leader, when coming face to face with Jesus Christ, their attitude towards their own status, their own identity in the world, it changed. Their attitude, therefore, also to people changed. Those who had power and authority became humble. Those who were marginalized in society end up confidently sharing faith and message. Those who were wealthy and with status became generous. In other words, if you understand what brings people together that's greater than you, that Jesus Christ, especially in the cross of Christ, really makes a difference, you go from being a self-centered person to a selfless person. If you want to know how to live out a real gospel-centered community, to be open, not just to people you like or that respond to you, right? But to be open to all different kinds of people that might come your way in your community, then you need to begin not by looking at yourself and asking yourself the question, what am I getting out of this? Or, you know, who am I going to hang out with? Or who am I going to click with? But you begin by looking at the cross of Christ. You know, Apostle Paul totally got this. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. But for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Okay? We focus on him. Let his values rearrange ours. Let his desires overcome our own, our own preferences, our, our own affinities. And to give us more strength to endure one another, to be open to others, no matter how different we might be. Now, how are we doing with this? Well, let me just end with this. Two things that I think we need to do uh, in order to really uh, engage in, in community, not just in your community groups now and in the future, but also in the future in the, uh, in the church. And, and there's two things, remembering and engaging, okay? Before we engage with the community, we need to remember and be intentionally remembering and be intentionally engaging. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the person that Jesus or that these people gathered around. Here's Jesus Christ. He's dying on a cross, right? He's died for divisions. He's died for sins of pride. He's died to break selfish behavior. And he's died for weakness. He died for the things that destroy community, his community, 
that break relationships, that break down walls of separation. And practically, here's what that means, okay? If you understand the death of Christ in this way, it means this, that in order to create a community that flourishes, not only in the church, but wherever you go, oftentimes it means you have to deny yourself for the sake of someone else. Your desires, your wants, your preferences for the sake of someone else's desires, someone else's preferences. And every time you have to do that, it's not always easy, is it? It means this, a little bit of you has to die. You have to die to yourself. If you want community in the real way, in a flourishing way, in a great way, in a gracious way, and you think about the death of Jesus Christ and what that death really meant, generally speaking, practically speaking, it means this. In your life, there needs to be some dying. That in order to engage in a community like this, you and I, we need to die to ourselves. And every time we consider others over ourselves, that means a little bit of us has to die. Because we really want what we want. We really like what we like. Well, remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave or free. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ. It means we share the same Jesus. And therefore, we need the same grace. And, and we need the same forgiveness. Because we have the same Father in heaven. And we belong to the same church. We don't just create community by just doing stuff together. We need to intentionally remember what Jesus has done in order to create his community for the sake of the gospel. That's the weightier thing that needs to overcome our differences, our pet peeves, our conflicts even. We need to also intentionally engage in this community, prepare ourselves, because it's going to require a little bit of dying to yourself. And it's not always going to be easy. We need to center on him and not ourselves. Here, let me give you an example. You know, in our community group or my community group, there's this bunch of guys that always want to talk about Marvel, right? And don't get me wrong. I, I like Marvel, right? But I'm just not sure if I like it as much as these guys do because every conversation that we have oftentimes revolves around something about Marvel, and that's fine, you know, but to be honest, uh, if you don't really care about Marvel, it'd be easy to brush these people off, right? Who cares about them? I can't fellowship with these guys because all they want to do is talk about Spider-Man. You know, it, 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 just, it could be very difficult. But here's the thing. If you understand the cross of Christ, even in that silly situation, you deny yourself, but you take interest in them. And though you might not care about Marvel movies or whatever the case is, you ask questions to learn why. Because here's the mindset of a Christian community group. If it's important to you, then it's important to me. Not because what you talk about is so important to me, but because you in Jesus Christ is important to me. And that's how I need to treat it. And when you have this attitude, you begin asking yourself, not, well, what do I need? Or what, what am I getting out of this? Or can I, can I relate with this? Uh, but you start asking questions like, well, what does this other person need? Right? What is this other person's interest? Where is this other person's struggle? 
In the same way, if you're single and you're not married, or if you don't have children, you're surrounded by women or men who always talk about children or always talk about marriage, you feel like you, know, you can't fellowship with them because there's nothing in common. But is that really true? Isn't there something greater in your life that brings you together? Shouldn't that be Jesus Christ? And maybe it's not relevant to you. Maybe it's something that you really don't care about. But if it's important to them, then it ought to be important because they ought to be important to you in Jesus Christ. Okay? Every person in our story, the Roman soldier with authority, the women, the Joseph of Mary Matthew, what happens when they look at Jesus Christ? They start themselves, but they start looking towards others. And when you do this, uh, you can't help but begin to have a different approach. When you, when you see Christ for who he is in your life and you trust in him this way, you can't help but have a different approach, an attitude towards not only your life, but to others around you. So don't let your love be stifled. Don't let your service be hindered. Don't get, let your prayers be unheard because of all your own personal preferences. But remind others and remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done to bring you and that person together. The community of gospel church. Okay? And so as we pray for uh, our community groups to be revamped a little bit, we pray also that we also begin our community groups with the right mindset, with Christ in the forefront. Let's pray.